It's very good to be here this evening. I'd like to begin by saying I appreciate the prayer, Luke's prayer on my behalf. It's my prayer, too, that the things that I've studied, I'll have a ready recollection of those things, and that they would be beneficial to each of us, that we all might be built up, that we all might draw closer to Christ. Ultimately, that, must, that should be our goal every day and every time we gather together, is that we be built up, that we draw from the knowledge from our study, that we draw closer to God, we call, draw closer to Christ, that we improve our relationship with Him. <clears throat> I'm going to begin this evening with this verse here in Matthew. It's a, it's a familiar verse for us. We all have heard it before. We've all read it. We all know it. And it reads, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. As I said before, this is very simple, very familiar verse for us. And so familiar that sometimes I think we treat it very casually. Or at least I know I have in my life. I've treated it very, very casually. And read it, thought about it, and then moved on with my life. And didn't apply it to my life. Didn't really think about what it means to not fear those that can kill the body. But rather fear him who destroys both the soul and the body in hell. What does it mean to fear? It means we should have concern. We should take it serious. You know, to apply it to our lives, it really means don't let the little things get in the way. Because ultimately that's what happens, right? We get stuck living our life day to day. We get caught up in the little things, the bills that have to be paid. The kids have to be somewhere. We have appointments other places. We have responsibilities and tasks. And they add up. And we let the little things get in the way of our priorities. We let the little things become casual. And we let our priorities escape us. You know, we don't set out for God not to be first in our lives. We don't set out to ignore the things that God puts in front of us. We don't set out to have a bad relationship with God most of the time. But it happens, and it happens slowly and surely if we're not diligent. If we don't put that care, if we don't put that concern, if we don't put that importance into the priorities that are important. Matthew 16 and verse 26 reads, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Our souls have value. I'm going to tell you that over and over and over again tonight. I don't think we can say it enough. <clears throat> but how often do you treat your soul? Like it has value. 
How often do you let the daily grind interfere with your relationship with God? Our soul has value. Your soul has value. The devil has worked overtime to convince us differently. He chips away at our value system with our soul. He chips away at the worth through self-doubt, through jealousy, through pride, through sin. Your soul has value. Treat it like it does. So it, it brings us to this contrast. You know, we often find ourselves in this struggle between the world and spiritual matters. You know, it seems all too often that we want to make a column, make a list, you know, and put the pros on one side and the cons on the other, maybe prioritize it based on what we have going on. There's really only one choice. The choice is to put the spiritual things first in our life. To focus on spiritual growth. To act like our soul has value. Romans 12 and verse 2 reads, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I highlighted renewing here. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, that's not a one and done type word. It's a constant word. It's an action word. We have to choose to be different. We have to choose to act different. Every day, every minute, every moment. Otherwise, we'll be conformed. It says, do not be conformed to this world. You ever thought about that side of this verse? Conformed? Molded? You ever thought about why that's why so many people in the world act the same way? You know, they're like cookie-cut robots seeking after worldly pleasures. How come? Because of the pressure. The pressure of the world, the pressure of sin, molds them. It makes them the same. It puts them into that form. How do we fix that? By the renewing of our minds, by taking action. 2 Peter 3 and verse 18 reads, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Peter instructs us to grow, to take action. But I want to notice this. You know, we don't have to look very hard in the world to see that there's not a lot of grace in the world. And there's certainly not a lot of knowledge of Christ in the world. You ever thought about that when we bring Christ to people, when we bring Christ to a new convert, that we bring them peace? You know, often they find peace for the first time in their life. They find hope for the first time in their life. 
it changes them. It breaks the mold. It breaks the pattern. They're no longer conformed to the world. It's something different. They see it in their lives, but the people around them see it in their life, that they're no longer conformed because they have grace and they have the knowledge of Christ. Matthew 6 and verse 19 reads, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth destroy, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where neither thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, it's easy to get caught up in stuff. This morning, David talked about the statistics on storage and our stuff. We store our stuff. We got stuff everywhere. Having stuff's not wrong. Wanting to provide for your family is not wrong. Wanting to provide for your future is not wrong. But we can pass on nothing more valuable than a love of God and a hope of a home in heaven to our family, to our heirs. Your soul's valuable. Your family's souls are valuable. And that's the most important treasure we can pass on to our heirs is they understand the value of their souls. They understand the value of a relationship with God. And it's value that can't be stolen. Hebrews 9 and verse 27 reads, and, and as appointed for men, excuse me, and as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly await him, for he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Death is feared. We don't have to look far to see how death is feared in this society. But we as Christians do not have to fear death. It says we can be eager. We can eagerly wait to receive our reward. How contradictory is that to the world? Why? Because he'll appear a second time for salvation. It's about salvation. You know, studies show that this is the most depressed and the most scared generation living in America at this time, right now. They have no confidence in anything or anyone. They're afraid and they're alone. And there's no doubt why. How can you have confidence in anything when it's all up to you? And that's what it is. When you remove God from the equation and God's not there and His righteousness is not there and His love is not there and His laws are not there and His forgiveness is not there, it's just man. And there's nothing else. And now you're up to just man's strength. 
and man's righteousness and man's power and man's ability and all of those things fail. We all understand that. We all see it. And all of those things come short. And then people's life become a mess. And there's heartache, and there's suffering, and there's pain. But we can put our faith in God, and we can trust on His strength, and His power, and His ability to save us, to comfort us, to lead us, to lead us to paths of peace where we can find peace and hope and lead us to salvation. You know, salvation is the deliverance from sin or the deliverance from punishment. So for the rest of our time this evening, I'd like to look at some lessons in Hebrews about salvation. You know, just a quick overview of some of the things Hebrews deal with is, first of all, the superiority of Jesus and the gospel over Moses and the old law. Another thing it deals with is the old law pointed forward to the coming of Christ. The law was fulfilled through Christ, and the law was ultimately done away with. But Hebrews also gives us some warnings. And those are what I'd like to focus on tonight. There are several warnings in Hebrews other than the ones that I've picked out to pay attention to tonight. I believe these are all important, but the ones that I've picked out tonight I think will help us in our day-to-day walk, help us to draw closer to Christ. So the first one is, is don't neglect salvation. We find it in Hebrews 2, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Very simply, don't neglect. You know, we already talked about how easy it is to let things go. How easy it is to not take them serious. It's simple encouragement. Make effort. Be earnest. See that there's nothing more important in your life because truly there's nothing more important than your salvation. Your soul has value. Treat it like it does. Titus 2 and 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Salvation is a gift. It is not just up to us. Regardless of how society wants to act, it is not just up to us. God has a hand in it. Grace means undue favor. You are not alone. God has made a path for you. 
He has made a way for you to find salvation. 1 Timothy 2, beginning in verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, and the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. That way, that path, that provision for us to be saved can only be found through Christ Jesus. Matthew 7, beginning in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. And then verse 21, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonderful works in your name? And I will declare unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me. It says, few who find it. You know, the Bible uses terms like seek out, search, strive, desire, exercise, discerned, judge, and so on. It encourages us, it pleads with us to find our salvation, to seek after it. Because your soul has value. We have to be purposeful. We have to be serious. And we have to act. The consequences of that are there in verse 21. How sad is it to hear, I never knew you. Hebrews 3 and 12 reads, Beware, brethren, lest there be any in you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. This brings us to the second warning I'd like to point out. Avoid a hardened heart. You know, we already spoke about the world being depressed because they're on their own. When we as Christians try to go our own way and do our own thing and distance ourselves from Christ, we suffer. We allow sin to separate us, to harden our heart, to not be close. You know, we prayed to be close to God. And that's not being close to God. James 3 and 10 reads, Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessings and cursings, my brethren. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. You know, how often do we get caught up in this? Wanting to walk one foot in the world and one foot spiritually? Matthew 6 and 24 reads, No man can serve two masters, for he'll either hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. 
you cannot serve God and man. We cannot live in both worlds. When we try to, we only get worldly gain. We only find distance from God. Sin causes doubt, and doubt leads us away from Christ. And distance from Christ hardens our hearts. Matthew 13 and verse 15 reads, For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they've closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. If you're looking for a verse to describe what's going on in the world around us today, I believe this one applies. We see people desperate for answers, but answers that match their beliefs first. They're unwilling to submit to God, unwilling to see His blessings, unwilling to hear His truth. Let's not be caught up in the same. This leads us to the next warning. Don't remain spiritually immature. Hebrews 5 and 11, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, that you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age, that is, those who by reason of us have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The writer of Hebrews clearly words this warning for us. How can we draw closer to God if we're spiritually starving? You ever thought about it that way? How can you draw closer to God if you're spiritually starving? 1 Peter 2 and verse 1 reads, Therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow hereby, if you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. We have to feed on the goodness of God. We understand that, right? Do you know somebody that feeds on the negative? Of course you do. We all know somebody like that. On envy, on evil speaking, on all the bad. Aren't they fun to be around? No. No, it's awful. It's like being around somebody sick. Because they are. They're feeding on the negative. They're feeding on the world. And it makes them sick. And it'll make you sick too. We are not going to prosper on the negative. 
We need to focus on the good. Focus on the pure milk of the word. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 1 reads, And brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual. I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as carnal, as babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Envy, strife, and divisions. He calls out envy, strife, and divisions. And he tells them you're behaving like men, mere men. You're trusting on yourself. You're not trusting on God. You're not letting God be a part of it. Are you acting like your soul has value? You know, when we remove God, all that's left is uncertainty. He says divisions weaken you and will weaken us. Second Peter beginning in verse 1, I'm sorry, Second Peter 1 beginning in verse 5 reads, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. And then verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly unto the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who wants to go back to being trapped in sin? I don't want to go back. But how often do we act like that? He uses the, word, the phrase short-sighted. He calls them blind. He said, don't trade the very temporary, the very short-lived pleasure of sin that lasts only a moment at best. Don't trade that for eternal punishment. Because that's what it deserves. Don't trade your soul for something short-lived. Don't be that short-sighted. Don't be blind. Your soul has value. This brings back to mind this verse here in 2 Peter verse 3 and 18. that we, One of the first verses we began with there. He said, grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How do we combat that? We add virtue to our lives. We add self-control. We're not selfish. We put God first. We get rid of the pride in our lives. We seek 
humility. We recognize that our soul has value. Hebrews 12 and verse 33 reads, For consider him who endureth such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Brings us to our next warning. Don't grow weary. Hebrews 12 and 1. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for who the joy was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. To me, this is the hard one. This is the hardest one. This is the one I struggle with the most. This is the one I think most people struggle with the most. And the reason why I think it's hard is because the race is not short. It is long. And it is hard. And it is easy to grow weary. It is easy to give up. And it is easy to let the little things wear on us and they wear on us and they eat away at our confidence and they cause doubt and they cause division and it eats away on us and it wears us down and we get tired we've got to be careful we got to remember the race is long and we got to remember that our soul has value. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 24. Do you not know those that run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may attain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight not as one that beats in the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. What are you striving for? Are you striving for a prize that men can steal? Are you striving for a prize that wears out? Our prize is the destination. It's the salvation. It's the home in heaven. It's the rest. What do you strive for? Galatians 6 and 9. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Hebrews 10 and verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. 
I encourage you, reach out to the brethren for help if you need it. Take opportunities to fellowship with each other. Work together. Love each other. This is how we stay fresh. This is how we don't grow weary. You know, I highlighted words here in this verse. Draw near. Consider. Stir up. Exhort. All action words. But all words that have to do with others. With your fellow brethren. Reach out. Hebrews 12 and verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. This is serious. Your soul is serious. Your soul has value. Remember, there's nothing more important than the value of your soul. Nothing is more important than your families and where they spend eternity. I encourage you to act like it. I encourage you to take it seriously. I encourage you to draw closer to Christ. You know, these are four simple warnings that we pulled out of Hebrews. And I think we can all use them in our daily walk. They're real practical things that we can do to draw ourselves closer to Christ. You know, our default setting may be to be idle, to be present. But I encourage you to push, to draw closer to Christ, to make an effort and not just be idle. Make it important. We are to be a peculiar people, to be different from the world. Act like your soul has value. I'd like to end tonight with this verse here in Matthew. It's Matthew 11 and verse 27. It says, All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except for the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God loves you, and God has provided for your every need. Jesus is the true light burden. Jesus provides the rest for us. And that place, that rest has been prepared. I encourage you to seek after it. I encourage you to evaluate your situation. To work on being more Christ-like. To evaluate your soul and what your priorities are. But most importantly, to act like your soul has value. This is all I've prepared this evening. We're going to offer the invitation at this time. If there's one that's been taught that would like to come forward... Join God's church. We'll offer that invitation. But if you're here and you've been worn down by the world and it's nicked away at you and it's caused doubt or it's caused trouble 
or you're overwhelmed, please come as we offer this invitation so that we might help you.